Hello, and welcome to the Blaze Experience. I'm back to talk about Sea of Thieves, and today I have a guest that you're familiar with. He was on the last episode about Sea of Thieves. We have Mani in here today, but before I introduce him, I'll tell you what our episode's going to be about today. We are going to be talking about some of the news of Sea of Thieves, which there was another maintenance window today, and there was some updates to the game. Also, in addition to that, we're going to be talking about sailing. We're going to be talking about some of the basics of sailing, like what is available on the ship, and we're going to go in-depth into some of the tactics in Sea of Thieves for sailing. So, for instance, we'll get into it more later, but some terrain tactics, some different tactics you can use with your anchor, things like that. So those are some of the things we're going to be talking about this episode. And also, I will announce that Mr. Noobs still was not able to make it back. He is having some scheduling issues with work, but hopefully he will be back in a future episode. But for the time being, he will not be in episodes. Hopefully, as soon as possible, he will be back on the show. So, without further ado, I will introduce our guest. Like I said, Monty is back. He was here on his last episode, and he will also be in a Fortnite episode coming up soon. But, welcome to the show, Monty. Hello. It's nice to have you back. How you been? Yeah, no, it's been good. It's been good, sort of, just getting stuff done, as you do. Definitely. The game's been a lot of fun, so. Yeah, I mean, there hasn't been many changes to it. Well, I know we just played together today, and... When we played together, we actually encountered one of the big updates we're going to talk about, so we'll get right into that. Yeah. One of the big updates for the patch that happened today, there was a server maintenance from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. BST, and the biggest update in that time frame was ship respawn distance. Basically, when a ship stinks, the developers have significantly increased the distance at which the crew's new ship will respawn. So essentially, this is going to really help you with forts or with players griefing you, because if you sink, then you will respond far away from other players, so they won't grief you. Or if you're doing a fort and you kill somebody, then you'll actually have time to raid the fort and get back, which, Mani, I know we experienced this today when we took out a fort, so how do you feel this is working so far? Yeah, no, I mean, sort of, earlier we were going for a fort. And we'd just complete it, and then out of nowhere, a sloop rocks up, and we we sink it, fortunately, and protect our loot. But we didn't see that sloop again, so clearly it spawned further away. And I know in the past, I've certainly had issues with sort of people spawning and coming straight back. So one time I was doing a fort, we came up, there were a bunch of people who had just finished the fort, and we sunk them, and we killed all of them, but... This was before the update, obviously, so they spawned at the next island, they just came back, killed us, and then got their loot. But sort of, if they hadn't spawned so close, we could have got all of that loot instead of them. Right, which that's one of the big problems players were mentioning to Rare, that obviously, like you said, before this update, people would spawn right next to you pretty much, and they just sailed right back to the fort. And you basically, it was more of a game of attrition where... It was pretty much, okay, who's going to give up first? It wasn't about tactics. It was more about, well, I sunk them five times now. Let's see if they give up this time. So it it was more about just who could actually withstand and who could endure the you know four or five hour battle or whatever it took. But it was less about tactics. Now that they've actually changed the respawn distance, it's more about tactics because like in our example today where we sunk the sloop, 
the sloop actually spawned farther away. So technically speaking, they could sail back to where we were, but it would take them a lot longer to do it. And we actually have more time to get the loot that we acquired and actually get out of there before they came back. Yeah, so sort of it it sort of sit, certainly situations like this where you just get these grueling battles of just having to go through galleon of after galleon of it's just the same people and you just have to fight through them. I think whilst that's very much the advantages on the other hand if you're doing your voyage um and somebody sinks you before you get to the island but you're near the island. You used to spawn near the island that you had to be at. So sort of that would have been one of the good things. But obviously now you're going to have to sail further, which that might run the risk of bumping into them again. So sort of if you have somewhere specific you need to go, sort of there's still a bit of that risk, just there's going to be longer between those battles. Right, definitely. I mean, I could see where you're on a voyage and then you spawn further away. It can be frustrating or annoying, but on the flip side of that, Think about the reason why you're actually spawning farther away because your ship did sink. So in most cases, that's going to be because someone found you at that island and sunk you. So in that case, it will actually be a good thing because if you spawn further away, the ship that sunk you will probably be long gone by then. And then you can go right back to that island and continue your voyage. The only case I see it being more of a nuisance to players is say you're on a voyage and you accidentally sink your own ship, like you crash into some rocks or something and you didn't repair fast enough, that's the one situation where it could be a nuisance maybe because you're not trying to stay farther away from a ship. You're just trying to do your voyage, but now you're farther away, so you have to sail all the way back to the island. However, with that being said, it is kind of a penalty a little bit, which if you sink your own ship, you do sort of deserve some sort of penalty. So I think I'm great with this. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of in relation to the accidentally sinking your own ship, I know I've had moments where I've just not noticed that I've had a hole or something on a sloop, and because of that, my ship's gone down. But in the past, sort of, you would have spawned nearby, and it wouldn't have been a problem. But now, with the new system, it might be a bit more of a nuisance. Right. I think overall, most players are very happy about this, and I'm honestly really happy too, because... The biggest issue, I think, was like we said at forts, where people will just keep spawning right back next to you again, and they come right back into contact with you, and it would just be a never-ending battle where you couldn't actually clear a fort. Yeah, I yeah. haven't had a lot of issues with griefing. Have you had a lot of issues with that? I I can't say I've been the receiver as much, but I know I have had situations where, through no necessarily fault of our own, we haven't been hunting down a certain person. We've just been going around sort of sinking whatever ship we see and we we end up just sinking the same person over and over because they're just spawning nearby. So it, it is good for those sort of situations and it will hopefully help stop things like grief, griefing. Right. And I was going to say too, I haven't really been in the receiving end that much either, but I do feel for those players that have been. So I am happy for those players that they get a kind of a reprieve from that and they can actually continue with their voyages and enjoy the game rather than just getting sunk over and over and over again by the same people so that is nice for them yeah and to a point sort of the griefing isn't necessarily fun for the people who are doing it either because you just need to you're not getting any loot out of it because you know they don't have time to get loot so you're just wasting resources and you're just having to fight the same person over and over it's never going to be a new battle and so hopefully it'll cut sort of those situations right so overall i think this is a great update for everyone i think 
There's probably very few people that didn't want this, but I think the ship respawn distance being farther away is amazing now, and only way I can see it causing issues is that one small instance, like we said, where if you're on a voyage and you sink your own ship, then it'd be kind of a nuisance, but at the same time, like I said before, I think it's a good to have that penalty, because if you sunk your own ship, then it's kind of your fault. Yeah, yeah, sort of. If you've got into a situation where your ship has sunk, then that's generally something you want to get away from. Right. But getting into more of those updates, there were a couple other updates that were made in this server patch today. The update was about 450 megabytes on all platforms. And some of the smaller ones that were updated, they fixed a couple issues such as bounty captains aren't going to spawn multiple times anymore. PC-only players won't experience the error of 0x800, 7000 error, whatever that error was. That won't appear anymore where they get stuck at 99% installed. The voyage image on the captain's table now displays the promotion banner correctly. When accepting a game invite while matchmaking, the game no longer enters a tem temporary unresponsive state. Um, there was an issue where players were jumping on barrels on the lower deck of the ship and they spawn right through their ship and fall into the sea. So those are some of the smaller issues. The only one I've really experienced myself that much is the matchmaking one where I was already in a match and I tried to join somebody else's game and then I had issues doing that. The other issues I haven't really experienced. How about yourself? I haven't really had sort of any of those issues. I mean, if I've ever had a problem with joining a game, I'll just sort of leave it, quit it, and then try again. So even if I have, I've just put it down to something else. So I, I don't think I've experienced any. Yeah, like I said, the main one for me was just the little bit of matchmaking thing where I was already in a game and I wanted to switch to somebody else's game. So, but it's not really that huge of a deal because I just left the game again and rejoined. So it, it wasn't a huge deal for me, but it is nice that they fixed that. Some of these other issues, I mean, it, it is nice for those players that were experiencing those. I think for the PC players, whatever that error was, they'll be happy that was fixed. I don't play on PC myself, so I don't know much about what the error was exactly, but it's good that whatever it was is fixed. The only other one they did update was uh, Mermaid Teleportation. Basically, when you teleport with the mermaid, you obviously can't bring treasure with you, which we all knew about, but I guess some players were confused and they were trying to do this and they teleport, but they'd realize that they left their treasure there by mistake. So now what the what Rare did was make it a little bit more clear for those players that didn't understand. And when you're holding treasure and you go up to the mermaid, it won't actually allow you to teleport now. It'll like if it would say teleport back to ship, it won't actually say that until you drop the treasure. So that will help newer players understand that you have to have no treasure in your hands in order to teleport. I mean, sort of, that's always useful because obviously if you're mermaiding, then, then you're losing your treasure. And if you don't understand that, then that'd be a pain if you sort of just mermaid back and then suddenly your treasure's gone and you don't know why. And by everything you know, you've just randomly lost your treasure. So that'd right, be a definitely. bit of a pain for new players, which is hopefully fixed. I say hopefully, which is fixed now, since they just can't mermaid with treasure. So yeah, definitely. I mean, I think for newer players, that's what this mainly is for. But for experienced players, it's kind of redundant because everyone already knew this. So it's like, well, 
that's just kind of redundant and it's not really going to matter to them. But I think it's a huge help for newer players because if you don't already know that, kind of like you said, I mean, that would really suck if you just bounce out to your ship and you have no treasure anymore and you don't know what happened. So that would be really frustrating and annoying for a new player and it might help them like, or not help them, but it might make them, I guess, like the game less because they didn't understand that. So I think that is great for those new players. If you're a new player to the game, then having small things like that, like randomly falling through a crate, which one of the things they fixed, or just losing your chest for reasons that you don't know, or just being grief, that's that's not going to make you want to keep playing the game. And from what I've experienced overall, the, the Sea of Thieves community is, is a great community. And while sort of half the time you do go around sinking ships, the other half of the time you can make friends and you can just join other people and not every encounter is sort of an aggressive count- encounter. So sort of getting more people into this nice community is always good. Right, definitely. I've had some very positive encounters. So it, a lot of people probably think it's only negative just because they have been griefed, but there are definitely some positive encounters you have in the world. I mean, I've met like solo players on sloops when I was in a galleon and we just kind of worked together. We helped them out. And they actually just jumped on our ship and sailed with us for a while. So it's kind of fun when that happens and you don't attack each other sometimes. Yeah, I mean, one experience I had fairly recently, um, I was on a sloop and I'd just lost all my treasure. And in the distance, I saw a galleon. So I decided to just sail up to the galleon and decide that I would force myself onto their crew. So I joined their crew. They couldn't say no. So I I just joined them. I I made no money from it, but I went around helping them with all their voyages just just because it was more fun than sailing around alone. Oh, they didn't even give you money for it? I mean, see, if I was on that galleon, I would have gave you something for your efforts. But I didn't really want any. Like, I probably could have taken a chest or two if I really wanted, but I was fine. I just didn't need it. That's cool, though. I mean, basically, you gave them some free help, so. Yeah, and we sort of, we ended up encountering the Kraken on the way, and sort of, they were just completely random people. Like, they, they turned out to be German or something, but it just happened. Yeah, I just joined their ship. Hey, why not? I mean, that's basically what this guy did with us when we were on a galleon, and he actually helped us take out a fort, and we were pretty generous with him, and we gave him, like, the stronghold chest, and we took everything else, so we felt that was pretty generous. You know, he got, like, the 2500 from the stronghold chest, and then we got the rest of the loot. Yeah, exactly, and it's just getting more people into this nice community. Right. I mean, I think for, you know, solo players that are on their own like that, it is definitely nice for them to see situations where people don't just automatically sink them because that will help them love the game more and actually want to play more when they have those positive encounters so i think it is nice for players to have positive encounters too yeah and you know whilst not all of them are positive because that's the nature of the game you do have to sink up the ships right exactly but not all the time that's pretty much the main updates that rare had in this patch and maintenance window today they haven't released any developer update videos as of this time yet. We're recording on Wednesday, April 4th. So if they release one later than this, then that'll be covered in a future episode. But as of right now, they haven't released anymore. But again, the main thing, the ship respawn distance is fixed. It works great. We just tried it out today, and I'm definitely loving that so far. But our next topic, we are going to get into the first Pirate Legends. Currently... To my knowledge, there are four legends in the game. If there are more than four, then I haven't heard about it yet, but I have heard of four myself. There has been some controversy on these legends, though. 
the first legend was last Thursday, so close to a week ago. And then the next three were basically a couple days after that. So the first legend was a man named Prodigy, and he is a streamer. Basically, the controversy around him is he got his legend status partially by boosting. So essentially what this was is he would join crews of people that were his followers, and his followers would have already amassed like a bunch of treasure. So say they got like, I don't know, 10 chests, for example, already amassed. He would join their server, join their crew, and they would cash it all in. He would get their rewards. He would then leave the server and go do it again with a different person. So basically, that's how he got up there faster. I don't know how you feel about this, Monty. Well, I mean, I, I was reading into it a bit. And while sort of at face value, it seems like he's been doing this the entire way and it's completely wrong. And sort of, I, I completely agree. Doing that isn't okay. Because, you know, there's so many other people that are working hard to get this rank. They're putting in time, they're putting in effort, and they're they're trying to get it legit. And sort of, when people do things like this, it sort of, it just makes it feel worth less. But reading into it, it's not as bad as it seems. So, obviously, sort of doing all that is bad. But somebody on Reddit calculated the percentage of how much he actually boosted. And it was something like 21% he boosted. So he, he didn't actually boost that much. Most of it he did earn himself. He did most of it himself. And he played it like everyone else. And sort of there was st some statistics comparing him with, with one of the legends who has achieved it completely sort of through grinding. And... One thing I found quite interesting was the person who got it from grinding actually turned in more merchant quests than the guy who or turned in more merchant crates and things like that than Prodigy. So whilst there are these issues, I think overall it, it's not as bad as it seems and some people are blowing it out of proportion. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you there. I mean... I'll be honest, when I first heard about it, I was very upset and I was very angry when I first heard about it, like Thursday when it happened. But since then, I've kind of grown a better understanding of all the issues involved. And like you said, he didn't boost for the entire time. But the 20% he did boost, basically the reason why I think a lot of people are so upset is Rare has said that they are going to immortalize the first legend. And I think a lot of people, myself included, are so upset that he is basically the first legend now when he used that as part of his legend status. When someone else that did it fully legitimately, they could have been the first legend instead. So I think Prodigy would have, I guess, less detractors and less of a controversy if he wasn't the first one. Because a lot of people were trying legitimately to be the first legend and get that immortalized status in the game. And now he has done it with some tactics that I personally think are unethical. I mean, if you boost and you're okay with that, that's fine. You know, I'm not going to not respect anyone for their choices. But for my taste, it is unethical for my taste. I don't know how you feel, Mati. Well, I think, say what you want, he's still put in pretty much all the time to do it. And he has still 
done a lot of voyages. If you look at the statistics, he's still done a lot of voyages. And he has still tried a lot. One thing I think that maybe what uh, Rare could do is they could maybe have almost a joke about it in Sea of Thieves. So they could have, like, the first legend, right. Prodigy X, whatever. And then the, underneath they could have the first real legend and the first person who achieved it legitimately. So sort of, whilst he was the first one to get it, he didn't do it completely fairly. So sort of, they, they could almost make a joke out of it and take it in their stride rather than completely shaming him or whatever. If if they do something, I feel like, if they take away his rank, he still put in the time, you know, he still put in a lot of the effort. So I think completely taking away from him anything, sort of completely stripping him, maybe isn't completely fair. Right, I'd agree with that too. I mean, I think, like you suggested, that is a good way of immortalizing him. And I think from, I don't know a lot about him, but I think from what I've seen of him, I think he has a decent sense of humor. So I think he would even be okay with that himself, where it's like kind of like a joke a little bit. I don't think he'd be too upset about that personally, but I could be wrong with that. But some people have been wanting him to be banned or have his account wiped or something like that or just strip him of everything. I think that is definitely wrong and Rare shouldn't go that far because, like you said, he did put in a lot of time in the game and the boosting was only a slight percentage of it. I mean, 20% is, you know, only a fifth of his time. So he did 80% of it himself. And I think he has actually put in some time to this game and should be recognized by rare enough to at least keep his status and everything and if he is immortalized i think it should just be maybe more of a joke way or maybe like you said you know having both legends up there together but i don't think it was ethical to use the boost boosting at all personally i think players would just care about it a lot less if it wasn't the first one because i think the big issue here is that there was a lot of hype around being the first legend because Rare was going to immortalize them. And I think a lot of players were excited to actually try and get that. And I think players want to feel excited or like, I guess, celebrate the first legend. And I think it's difficult for some people to celebrate the first legend when there is this controversy around him. So I think that's the main issues involved, which a lot of people are on Prodigy's side are kind of saying, oh, people are just jealous. I don't think it really has to do with jealousy at all, honestly. I think it's just people are a little bit even hurt, maybe, by the fact that the first legend that did it legitimately grinding, they're kind of getting stripped of the rewards that they should get. And I think Prodigy being a legend is fine. It's just I don't think he should get, I guess, the praise for doing it completely legitimately. Yeah, I completely agree. Sort of, he, he did use some dirty tactics, and that's going to have to be dealt with in some form. But overall, it's a light-hearted game. You know, it's just a game. So I think whilst it's completely not fair to strip him, he's still put in the effort. And the first person who does it completely legitimately, I feel like absolutely they deserve to be immortalised. But he, nonetheless, he was still the first person to get it. So I... I think sort of as I said, sort of maybe a bit of a joke about it. And just right. take it lightheartedly than completely ruin his game, you know, ruin everything he's got. You know, he, he is a streamer, you know, he makes part of his living off of this. 
and completely stripping him, that's going to affect that. Right, definitely. I mean, I think it'd be wrong to just strip him of that. You know, from what I've seen of him, he seems like a really good guy in person. You know, he seems like a really decent person, and I have no problem with him personally at all. And honestly, I'm not really even that mad at him or anything like that in the game aspect. It's just I do kind of wish that the first one was someone that grinded their way there. And that way they could be first. And then Prodigy wouldn't really have many issues on his hands. Yeah, it's just sort of it's happened now. You know, it's done. How they'll deal with it. We'll, We'll see with their updates. But I think we just need to move on with it. Exactly. And that's kind of the next point I was going to bring up. I think we just need to, as a community, move on from this because Prodigy has been getting a lot of hate on Twitter, a lot of hate on Reddit. He's been getting just hate everywhere. And even in his streams, people are going into the streams and trying to attack him in his streams. So I think that's a little bit too far. I think we shouldn't be attacking him. We shouldn't be harassing him. You know, he's still a person. He's still human he didn't do anything like that wrong i mean basically he did something a little bit unethical in a video game like it's not that big of a thing where we need to actually be harassing him he shouldn't be harassed he shouldn't be attacked so you know if you have attacked him please don't do that anymore please just let him be you know let him live his life and actually continue with the game in his own time yeah, it's it's just sort of harassing him and everything. That's that's just taking it too far. Whilst it it should be dealt with, you know, I, I just think there is a limit on how far it should be taken. Right, exactly. I mean, basically, if you don't agree with it, that's fine. I don't really agree with it fully myself. I am fine with him being a legend overall, like I said, but I don't really like that he was the first first one. But basically. Just don't harass him. I mean, if you really are upset about it, just leave him alone. You know, just kind of forget about him and just move on. Move on with your game and he'll move on with his game and create your own legend, basically. You know, you can create your own legend or you can actually endorse and celebrate a legend that did it a way that you think was better. Yeah, and it's down to rare at this point, you know saying mean things about him or sending him mean messages that's not going to change anything rares to deal with this now it's it there's nothing that can be done right and whatever rare wants to do you know that's on them and whether they immortalize him they don't whatever it is it's not going to affect your game personally so just try not to worry about it anymore basically just move on let rare handle it how they want to let prodigy continue streaming how he wants to and playing the game and enjoying himself that way his community can be happy as well and just don't be toxic about everything i mean the toxicity is getting a little bit too much from what i've seen on reddit and twitter a little bit so just kind of let it be more and just celebrate and endorse other legends or make your own legend basically yeah i mean a lot of it does seem to originate from reddit but reddit's reddit right But in terms of other legends, that's kind of the controversy with Prodigy and our thoughts on that a little bit. There were two other legends that were account shares. Basically, they got their legend status by always having someone playing their account. So they'd take their account, just have a friend play it. Then that friend would get off. Another person would play it. So there was always someone on the account 24-7. And basically, it was just a shared account amongst a bunch of people. 
don't really agree with that either. But I think that's even, I guess, worse than what Prodigy did because Prodigy actually played the game. He actually put in some time. These people, I mean, no offense, but it was just a bunch of people playing the game on the same account. So it's not really like anyone actually did it. Yeah, I agree. This is probably worse because Prodigy, you know, he did things that were wrong, but he still played the game. At the core of what it is, he still played the game. With account sharing, you've got like 20 odd people playing the game. And at that point, it's worth nothing. If I went along and I combined all my sort of experience and everything with a bunch of, with all the people who play Sea of Thieves on my friends list, I, who knows, I might even have Legend, but I didn't achieve that, you know? And for these accounts, nor did one person for these. So I think, you know, at least Prodigy did it himself. Right, exactly. Which some players would mention there's a caveat, you know, he did boost, obviously, so it wasn't fully himself, but he did it mostly himself, I would say. That's kind of how I'd phrase that, but... Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, there is a fourth legend, Sniper named G. Sniper actually did this all legitimately. He did very long streams. He would do, like, 30-hour streams multiple times, and he actually got legend legitimately, so props to him, you know... I would definitely endorse and celebrate him, and I think he's a great legend for the community, so I think he should get some sort of status from there. Yeah, I mean, sort of, uh, the statistics I was mentioning earlier were comparing a lot of Sniper's statistics with Prodigy's statistics, because it seems that the community is widely recognizing Sniper as the first proper pirate legend. Right. So even if Rare ends up recognizing Prodigy as the first official legend, then Sniper, I feel like, will still be immortalized within the community as a legend. So I feel like either way, he's going to get the recognition for what he's done. And he's put in the time. Definitely. I definitely hope he gets recognition. And I really hope the community embraces and endorses him because... He really put in the time. He really grinded this hard. And going back to Prodigy for a second, I mean, one of Prodigy's things he has said is that he could have done it himself, which I honestly don't doubt. He definitely could have done it himself. But by using the boosting, he just made it where he got it faster. So I think Sniper would have got there before him, probably, if Prodigy didn't boost. So I think Sniper would have been the first legend and it just would have been a cut and dry case where there was no controversy at all. So that's kind of where the issues come into play, I think. I mean, Prodigy achieved it last Thursday, I think it was. Yes. He said. I'm not sure when Sniper achieved it. He achieved it um, Sunday morning. Sunday morning. So there's only a couple of days difference. I think Sniper would have definitely had it. Yeah. If it was this week, sort of, then I think Prodigy could have done it sort of all legitimately in time. But since it was Sunday, I think Sniper would have just just taken that right yeah it's probably like maybe a 48 hour difference something like that so i mean sniper probably would have been the first one if not for that so i think that's why people are a little upset but you know endorse sniper if you want endorse prodigy if you want but just kind of don't actually send hate to anyone really yeah no i think sort of choose who you want you know there's only going to be one first legend and as to who that will be that can be decided but there's no point sending hate over it. That's just going to make the situation whole, a whole lot worse. 
Right, exactly. And kind of like you said, I think it would actually be a good idea to put them kind of up there together. You know, maybe just if they're going to put it on like a wall or something, maybe just put, you know, first legends and just put prodigy and sniper up there together if they want or something like that. Just I just hope sniper gets some kind of credit from rare and some kind of something in the game just because he did do it legitimately. So I don't really mind if prodigies in the game as well. I just want sniper to be included somehow, basically. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And just real quick, some comments I have heard from very few people. I haven't heard a lot. I haven't really found it substantiated too much, but I guess with Sniper, he did server hop for Skeleton Forts. So basically, he would just go from server to server and do more Skeleton Forts that way. I'm not sure if this is substantiated where this actually happened or not, but I heard the rumor and... Personally, I just wanted to state that if this rumor is true, I honestly don't really mind it that much because even if you're server hopping to do more skeleton forts, you're still having to do the fourth. You're still having to contend with other people that might be, you know, coming after that loot and you're still playing the game. So to me, it's still pretty much fully legitimate because you're still playing that in game. You're still doing it all yourself. It just means you have more chances to get bigger loot. But I think getting more chances to get bigger loot is not really an issue for me. Yeah, I mean, if you're doing like 30 hour streams, then just doing voyages over and over, you know, those get a bit bland. Whereas skeleton forts, they they always do have that excitement to them. So I feel like I, I can understand that, you know, not only for your audience, but it's also better for leveling up all of them at the same time. If you do voyages, then merchant, you know, some people don't like doing merchant, some people like doing only merchant. Whereas if you do focus more so on skeleton forts, then you're going to level up all of them at the same time. And if you're doing 30-hour streams, that's that's what you're going to want to do. Right, exactly, which I think maybe he did do this somewhat because I heard on one of his streams that he's completed 100 skeleton forts, so I think you'd have to do that if you were, you know, completing that many skeleton forts, but... Kind of like we said, I mean, I don't think this takes anything away from him at all because he still put in the effort, he still put in the time, and he still had to beat those forts and everything. So I don't think this takes away anything from him at all. So I just wanted to address that because I know some, you know, very few people that I've seen, but a couple people were kind of putting that into question. And to me, it's not really questionable at all. But unless you have any other thoughts on. The legends that have appeared so far, we will get into our main topic. No, I I think that's pretty much everything I have to say about the legends. Alright, so we are going to talk about sailing today. So basically we're going to get into it by just talking about the sort of basics of the ship, but going into a little bit more detail about those, and then we'll get into some tactics. So one of the first things that you should know about sailing is you want to prep your ship before you actually leave. So what this means is usually you're going to start at an outpost and basically you're going to have bananas, wood planks, and cannonballs. So you just run around the outpost, you just collect as many as you can carry, you go back to your ship, you deposit them, and then just go back to the outpost again and just keep collecting them until the outpost is out. Basically you want to do this because it's going to help your sailing journey a lot more, whether you're doing forts, voyages, or whatever it's always good to have more supplies. So it's definitely good to prep your ship. And I think that's the first thing to do with sailing at all, even though it doesn't seem like it's about sailing. Honestly, prepping your ship is like one of the main things that you have to do. Yeah, no, prepping the the ship is always important because 
it's just having those things on you. So you you start with, I think it's forty cannonballs. Um, it's something like twenty twenty five wooden planks and and bananas, and you know that that'll get you to a couple of islands, but it'll get you through maybe one fight, and depending on where you're going first, if if you're going quite far away for your voyages, you might you might run into more than one. If you're going to a skeleton fort, then, as we addressed last time, you're definitely going to want to stock up. And it's just generally good having it on you. And sort of stopping at the outpost, and before you set off, just grabbing everything you can. It's just, it gives you a good start to everything. Right, definitely. I mean, kind of like you were saying, you know, prepping your ship is very important, and... I would say the longer the play session you're going to do, the more importance it has. I mean, if you're only getting on for like a half hour, you know, quick little voyage or something, obviously you don't want to spend a lot of time prepping because that's going to take into your little bit of time you have. So you probably just want to get up, get out and go and do your quick little voyage. But if you're getting on for like a five hour session, you know, six hour session, whatever it is, you're definitely going to want to prep more for the longer the voyages. Yeah, I mean... It also slightly depends on which boat you're going on as well. So obviously each barrel True. has capacities. So bananas, you can have 100 overall. Planks, you can have 100 again overall on both sloops and galleons. Cannonballs, if you're on a sloop, you can have 200. On a on a uh, galleon, you can have 300. So tr- just trying to get as much of that as you can if you're going on long voyages. Um, if if you're higher levels, then you're probably going to be getting voyages that will take you to more islands. So it, it's just sort of prepping, depending on how far you're going. Another good place for prepping if if you're on the seas is sunken ships. Those those can give you lots and lots of resources, but you you need to spend some time with those just to get everything because those can give you quite right. a lot and barrels of plenty too. Absolutely. And you can get some treasure as well from sunken ships, so always a bonus. Which, just for anyone that is newer, barrels of plenty are just barrels that are floating in the water. You see a bunch of barrels together, and usually those barrels have supplies in them, unless somebody already looted it. But just for any newer players, I will just mention really quick the locations of these barrels that you're going to stock up with. Your banana barrel... Your wood plank barrel and your cannonball barrels on the galleon are all in the middle deck. So basically you go to the middle deck and right where the stairs are to go to the lower deck, that's where you'll have your planks and your cannonballs. And right as you go down your first set of stairs where the map table is, right to the right of that is where your bananas are going to be. On the sloop, it's a little bit different. On the bottom deck is where you're going to have your bananas and your planks. And then on actually your top deck, where it's right on right next to the cannonballs, pretty much, or right next to the cannons, sorry, is where you're going to have your cannonball barrels. I think they did this just to make it a little bit easier for the sloop to maneuver and actually be able to fire the cannons. So that's where the locations are for the ships. But getting into sailing, obviously, one of the main things you have to do with sailing is man your sails. So... It depends what ship you're on, how many sails you're going to have. On the sloop, you're going to have one sail. On the galleon, you're going to have three. So you're going to have a front, middle, and back sail on the galleon. And basically, these sails have a sail angle and a mechanism to raise and lower the sail. So the main thing you want to do with the sails is adjust for the wind. Do you want to tell people how you can adjust for the wind? Yeah, so adjusting for the wind is 
next to where you can raise and lower the sail, there's it's a sort of a spool, and you jump on it, and you turn the sails from left to right. And whenever you're sailing around, there, there'll always be wind, and you want to get your all of the wind going behind the sail. And if you do that, um, then you'll you'll be going the fastest. So there's sort of three stages of how much wind you have. You have no, like, basically no wind. And that's when the wind is either going against your sail or it's, it's not with it. Then you have partial wind, which is when you have part of the wind going towards it, but your, your sail isn't fully in the wind. And then full wind, which is your sail fully has the wind behind you. And that, that's when you'll be going the fastest. And you, you'll be able to visibly see this when, you, when you're sailing along. Yeah, and actually if you have full billow, which is basically the maximum amount of wind is in your sail, the game will play a little bit of music for you. So that'll let you know, okay, this is that full billow, I have the maximum amount of wind right now. So that's kind of an indicator for you as well, especially on the galleon. Yeah, but with sails, you don't always want them at full speed, at full, sort of completely down. You you might want them at half mass some of the time, or, or that might change. So particularly with the galleon, so quite often my crew will have the middle sail at half mast or just raised a bit because that gives whoever is on the wheel better visibility. And it means if you're right. chasing someone or something, you'll you'll be able to see them. And, and generally, the the galleon, even a, with a sail at half mast, you'll be able to catch up with people pretty well. So it, it doesn't impact on speed too much, and it just gives you you can have more people on cannons and stuff rather than having to have two people on steering of one person actually steering and the other person navigating. You can just have one person steering and navigating, and everyone else doing other things, making sure the winds are. The, the wind's fully in the sails, or on cannons, or on repairing. And it, it does make things slightly easier sometimes. Definitely, which, along the lines of kind of what you were getting into there, there's different jobs that people can do while you're sailing. So manning the sails is basically one of those jobs, but just to touch on some of the jobs you mentioned a little bit more, one of the jobs, someone could be sort of designated as the repair person, and... Basically, what the repair person would do is they would grab wooden planks and any holes or damage that the ship takes, they go down to the lower deck or middle deck and just patch up those holes. And then you would also bail water. So you just grab your bucket and you take the water up to the top of the ship and throw it over the side. So that's kind of one of the jobs that you could have is when you're sailing. Another job is you could have someone in the crow's nest. Basically, the job of this person is pretty simple. You're just looking for, you know, rocks that could be in the way or other ships that could be, you know, coming towards you. Or basically, if you could be looking for the island that you guys are sailing to for your voyage. So essentially, the crow's nest person is just a lookout. And another job that you could have, which is actually pretty important, is navigating, which this is usually not the same person that's steering unless you're on a sloop. If you're on a sloop, the steering person could also navigate as well. But if you're on a galleon, usually it's not the same person because the map table is on the middle deck, which is pretty far distance away from where the steering wheel is, obviously. So the navigator, essentially what they do is they look at the map table. They figure out where you're going. You can actually circle islands that you're going to on the map table with the little black circle. 
and essentially they would look at where the ship is in comparison to the island and they'd use the little compass on the map table to tell the person steering okay you have to turn a little bit more left you have to turn a little bit more right or wherever they have to go so honestly the navigator is a very important job so i would definitely recommend having someone pay attention to that while you're steering i mean on a galleon depending on how far away you're how far away you're going the person steering they can navigate if you really need other people doing other things so if you have other people repairing if you just crashed or something and you just need one person steering and navigating and everyone else just fixing all the holes then they they can do both of those um with repairing it's, it's always vital to repair your bottom deck because that's where you're going to take out to like, take on water if you're on a galleon you can somewhat ignore your second deck if you take holes on that but it does mean that if if you leave holes on there if you do start taking on a lot of water from your bottom deck and it gets to your second deck, then you are going to take on a lot of water then. And that's right. really something you want to be careful of, because that can be completely fatal to a galleon if you have unchecked second hole, uh, second deck holes. So fixing them whilst you have the free time is, is sort of always useful. On a sloop, holes on the second deck will still bring you on water, so you, you definitely want to patch them up on the sloop. But on a galleon, you can... They're, they're not as urgent. Right, it depends on the resources you have too. I mean, if you don't have a lot of planks left, obviously you want to save your few planks for the bottom deck. But if you have plenty of planks, you know, repairing the middle deck is sometimes a good thing because as you were kind of saying, if the water ever gets to your middle deck and you have a lot of holes there, it's pretty much game over instantly. I mean, there's no way you're going to be able to repair it fast enough. So you definitely don't want to have too many holes in the middle deck because it's almost an instant game over if the water ever gets that high. Yeah, with with the crow's nest, one one real reason is if if it's ever useful, sort of you might be like, oh, why am I ever going to use it? I can just see the ship from my from my sort of top deck. You know, I I don't need to worry about the crow's nest. But the crow's nest is if you're in if you're in the middle of a storm and there's there's a lot of big waves, then quite often you'll find that you won't be able to see other ships if you're chasing them, particularly if you're on a sloop. Even on a galleon, it's a problem. So having someone up in the in the crow's nest, it gives you a lot of vision and it makes sure that you can see the people you're chasing or running from. And it just gives you these bonuses on, on site. And it can come in handy with navigating as well. You you can also store explosive barrels up there. If If you have an explosive barrel, I find it's often best to keep it up there because if you keep it on the lower parts of your ship and it goes off, then that's going to cause you a lot of holes. But if it's in your crow's nest, then it doesn't really cause holes on your ship. So you don't need to worry about it. Right. And also, if it's up there too, then people can't shoot it when they go by. So say a galleon is you know coming up alongside of you, they could just shoot the barrel if it's on your lower decks. But they can't shoot that if it's up at the crow's nest. They have to go all the way up there or shoot it. Yeah, so it, it just sort of gives your ship a bit of protection should you have those on board. But also to mention with these jobs too, I mean... It's not like this is a set thing where you have to be, okay, you're always the repair person. Most crews I play with, we just rotate jobs and it's kind of just whatever the need is at that time, we all just band together to do it. We just mention these as jobs because there are different roles that you do have to do at different times in the process of sailing. Yeah, I mean, sort of not not everything's vital. So 
the the sails if if you're not in a rush anywhere those can be sort of left a bit if there's only holes on the second deck of a galleon then that can be left a bit so it, it they're, they're not all vital but if, if there's someone's if someone's free then they're quite often useful being done right exactly i mean like if you actually wanted to designate them as jobs that's up to you and your crew but say you designate someone as the all-time repairman or something I mean, if there's no holes in the ship, then basically they're just sitting there doing nothing. So they could actually help somebody else within the role. So it's not really necessary to designate roles, but these are different roles that people could have at the time. But the main role that we haven't talked about at all yet is obviously steering itself, which, as you mentioned on the galleon, is a little bit difficult when the middle sail is down because you can't see as well. So that is... A reason to possibly have that at half sail sometimes so you can see a little better. The uh, sloop, you can see pretty much all the time because that's meant to be sailed by one person if it needs to be. But the steering wheel can turn 720 degrees, so it does basically two full turns. And there's a compass at the side of it, so when someone gives you a compass bearing, okay, head northeast. Then you could see that on your compass and you could turn the ship in that direction. And... It's important to know that there is a mechanism in place to know when the ship is straight. Basically, there's one peg on the steering wheel that's going to be a gold peg. And essentially, you turn the wheel until this gold peg is right at the center, and you'll hear it like a clicking noise. That's basically the rudder clicking back into place. So when the gold peg gets back to center and you hear that noise, that's when you know it's straight. Yeah, I mean, one thing I always sort of, on a galleon, I always forget, you need to do two turns to get it from one extremity to center right so sort of knowing on a galleon that you need to turn it even further to get to middle is always useful if you're on a galleon galleon if you're on a sloop it's just left 360 back to center right 360 back to center so it be wary depending on which one but yeah you will get these visual uh sorry not visual auditory sort of acknowledgements so you know when you are in in the center right and it's also important to know too when you're steering i mean you don't want to make rash adjustments because say you wanted to go left towards something if you turn it all the way hard left then you're gonna have to probably turn back right afterwards and then you just kind of leave yourself in a loop where you're overcorrecting. so you have to turn left turn all the way back right turn all the way back left so you want to just make subtle adjustments unless you really have to like get out of somewhere fast basically so just try to make your turns a little bit more subtle that way you don't have to spend you know 10 minutes just going hard left hard right hard left that way you're overcorrecting. so try to make it a little more subtle i guess but just getting into some tactics with sailing now one of the tactics that is used by a lot of experienced crews is an anchor turn do you want to explain what anchor turn is anchor turns yeah so um, if you're being chased by something or if, for whatever reason, if you need to make a sharp turn on the moment, what you can do is drop your anchor whilst you're turning and that'll give you a sharp, almost immediate turn and then you raise your anchor back up and you'll go off in the other direction. But it's just really useful for getting around and particularly on sloops where you can raise and drop your anchor really quickly. It's really useful for dealing with galleons so one time i had a galleon chasing me and what i did was i sailed around one side and turned left on an island so they then couldn't see me 
they assumed I would keep going straight, so they went round to the other side. And I just anchor turned and went back the way they came, so they went round to the other side of the island and I was already back off the way I was going. So anchor turns, they can, they can be really useful for, particularly on sloops, getting around galleons and just being really manoeuvrable in, in sort of these situations. Absolutely, and it can also be useful if you're trying to battle someone too. I mean, if you're right next to someone and you're engaged in a battle and you're not trying to run from them, it's a lot more helpful sometimes to just do an anchor turn to turn right back around to them and fire on them again instead of trying to turn all the way around because it takes a long time, especially in a galleon. So it's not just for running away from someone. It also can be used in battle as well. Yeah, no, it's just generally a really useful sharp turn for any situation. If you're coming up behind um, coming up behind another ship and you can anchor turn to get all your cannons facing it so you can unleash a torrent on it without it being able to fire back. Or any of these situations, you can just... Anchor turns are just generally really useful as a general sharp turn. Definitely, and it's also very useful in another tactic, which we're going to mention. We mentioned, I mentioned it briefly in a previous episode, but have you ever heard of or tried the edge of the map tactic? I haven't tried it myself. I have a, I have a rough idea of what it is, but I haven't tried it myself, no. Yeah, so basically what the edge of the map tactic is, is it kind of involves anchor turn, but if you're getting pursued by someone and you really don't want them to catch you, then what you can do is go towards the edge of the map, you go off the edge of the map, and then after you go off the edge of the map, you just do a sharp anchor turn, and you go back the other way, so you're going back onto the map. Usually, it depends if they're experienced or not. If they're not that experienced, usually the ship will keep sailing at full speed right past you, and they won't really realize they've gone off the edge of the map. So what's going to happen is you're going to be going back the other way, they're not going to realize it in time, and they're going to go off the edge of the map, and they're going to sink because their ship will start feeling with holes, and they'll just sink. But even if they don't sink, then it's going to take them a while to repair and get back off the edge of the map, so it's actually going to give you a lot of distance to get away from them. So that's a good way to get people away from you if you have like a lot of treasure, or if you really just don't want to fight at that moment, or whatever it is, unless they're very experienced, and... They actually look at their map ahead of time and see, oh, wait, they're going off the edge of the map. Let's just, you know, wait for them to come back or something. They're probably not going to see it in time, and they will probably just sink themselves and you'll get away. Yeah, and, and that does bring up one thing, particularly with always watching where you are on the map. Because if you're chasing someone or you're running from someone, sometimes you can just get so into it that you lose where you are and accidentally go off the map. So making sure that you don't go off the map is sort of another thing to keep an eye on. Right, definitely. I mean, it's basically just, depending what role you're in, you have to try and think of the other person's role. So if you're the person pursuing someone, then try and think, okay, if I was the ship getting chased, what would I be thinking of doing? And they might be thinking of trying to pull that edge of the map tactic, so you might want to actually look at your map and see, are they trying to go off the edge of the map? Where are they trying to go to? So it's kind of about just trying to think about what your opponent's doing and try to think the next step ahead of them. Yeah, I mean, sort of always thinking, trying to get one step ahead of anyone chasing you or if you're chasing them is is just something you want to be doing. It's a good tactic because you can try and predict where they're going and if you can predict where they're going, then you can align yourself so you can intercept them and get cannon shots on them or vice versa, whatever. Exactly, and kind of related to the edge of the map tactic, there's 
tactics you can use for whatever terrain you're in. You know, basically, if someone's pursuing you, what you could do is you could sail through some rocks. They might try to go around the rocks, and you might be able to lose them by cutting through that sharper. Say you're in a sloop, and they're in a galleon. If they're in a galleon, they might not be comfortable going through those rocks, so you could lose them that way. Another way you could lose them that's kind of similar is using the storm to your advantage. You could sail right into the storm, and some ships won't want to go into the storm to chase you. I mean, I just had a situation a few days ago where we were being chased, and we went into the storm by a couple ships were chasing us. They didn't follow us in there, and then we actually came out the long side of the storm, so we sailed straight through the entire storm, and they didn't realize where we went, and we actually lost them that way. So those are the two ways you can lose people by using terrain to your advantage. Yeah, I mean, sort of, as I mentioned with my story earlier, sort of, you can also use height of islands as well, so, I, I mean, sort of, my story of escaping this galleon pretty much used all of these terrain tactics. I went behind an island so they couldn't see me, I anchor-turned and then went off the other way. They eventually got round and started chasing me again, but then I darted into some smaller rocky areas where they can follow me. I eventually got away, but sort of it's just using all of your terrain around you, particularly as a sloop, to gain you these sort of advantages. Right, definitely. And another one we haven't mentioned too is if there's like shallow water somewhere, then what you can do, especially as a sloop, is try to lead that galleon into that shallow water where they're going to, you know, scrape the bottom and have more holes that way. So you can definitely use shallow water or deep water to your advantage that way as well. And kind of like you said, using the islands to your advantage is a great strategy as well, because if you go behind the island, somebody might not see where you are, and you can kind of anchor turn behind the island, go back the other way, and they're not going to realize that. So you can definitely use islands to your advantage as well. So definitely look at the terrain that you're at, look at the terrain that's around you, and try to pick a spot where you can actually turn the battle into your advantage. Or even if you don't want a battle, it doesn't have to be a battle. If you're trying to escape somebody... Just look at the terrain around you and try to figure out a way to use that terrain to get what you want. Yeah, and it, it's just sort of like knowing where you are. Sort of that's just always useful. So it again comes into the with the edge of the map. Just sort of having a rough idea of where you are, where things are, where near nearby outposts are, sort of things. So if you have like a chest or two, sometimes it's useful to just sail past the outpost. You jump off with the chest, they keep chasing your your ship and you turn in your chest and you've got the money you've lost nothing and they spent too long chasing an empty ship exactly and basically they just come away with what wasted time and while they come away with a waste of time you get all the treasure so depending on how you work things you can actually be the victor while they get nothing from it yeah so it's it's just sort of keeping an eye on things but you did mention turning in chest and in relation to turning in chest one of the tactics you can use that a lot of experienced players use that maybe some newer players don't know about is coasting into port. So can you explain to players how you coast into port instead of always using your anchor? Yeah, yeah. So um, coasting into port, it's generally more about the sails. So rather than dropping your anchor, sort of, or whatever, you'll raise your sails so you're going much slower. And you'll this means you'll have more control over your ship and you can get it in right next to the dock. and. This is really useful for trading in lots of chests because you can do lots of quick runs from your ship to sort of gold hoarders and all of that. Like, for example, earlier we did a skeleton fort together and after that we had a lot of chests on and sort of other sort of things on our ship. So we raised our middle sail 
when we were coming into the dock so we would go slower so we could get in nice and close to the dock so it would be easier to make quick runs from the from the ship to any any of the companies yeah definitely i mean like you said if you have a lot of treasure then that's one of the best reasons to do that but honestly i think it's a good reason to do that almost all the time even if you're on a voyage and you're going up to an island if you just you know kind of coast into the island you can just leave your ship there and you can just swim back to your ship a lot easier and get going faster because if you anchor at an island then it's going to take you longer to escape so if somebody sees you and they try to come up on you really fast what you can do is just swim back to your ship get on it and just drop your sails and start sailing away if you didn't drop your anchor but especially on the galleon if you already dropped your anchor it's going to take you a long time to get that anchor up so coasting into islands is definitely a good strategy as well yeah and and relating to a bit sort of to do with control there's a tactic i do me and my crew do which you saw earlier where we lower the anchor most of the way but then at the last second stop it so it's not dropped yet but if we let go then it will immediately drop so it can give you immediate anchor drops with sort of this tactic Rather than having to drop the anchor early, you could, if you prepare it, then you can have the anchor dropped exactly where you want, and you can stop exactly where you want. So it's often quite useful for going into battles and things like that, or or even coming in precisely to docks. It's less useful with coming into islands, because if you're coming into islands, generally you're doing voyages and things, so you don't need to worry as much about about it then. So in those situations, it's it's. Uh, less useful but in situations where you want to be stopping immediately and you want to be know exactly what you're doing uh, lowering the anchor most of the way is also quite useful yeah definitely i mean i hadn't seen that tactic used a lot until uh seeing you do it but it's definitely a useful tactic if you want to get up to a dock because if you just have a where you can stop the ship at a dime and that's very useful i mean if somebody says drop the anchor and you hit the button to drop the anchor it'll take a couple of seconds before it actually drops. But if you actually had it to where you're slowing it down like you did, then you can drop it immediately when someone says drop the anchor. Yeah, it just gives you that precision that you can have. So you can get your... If you combine it with with coasting into ports, then you can pretty much dock your ship up exactly as it is right. when it first spawns. And not only is that useful for sort of running things, as I mentioned, it it also looks quite nice. It's just like a, a nice aesthetic thing. Yeah, it almost looks like you just spawned into the game. So it, it seems like, oh, they just spawned there when people don't realize you already have much treasure on board. Yeah, exactly. So it, it can also be a bit deceiving as well. A little tricksy. But kind of related to coasting in to islands is a trick you can do with your sails to turn sharper. Basically, what you do if you want to turn really sharp is you'd have your sails all the way raised or at half mast because that's going to have less wind involved in your sail so you can turn a lot sharper this tactic is used a lot when kind of stuck usually say you're like at shipwreck bay is one of the good examples shipwreck bay has a lot of rocks around it and if you get in there deep enough with especially a galleon it's kind of hard to turn in there so what you'd have to do is raise your sails all the way turn your ship around and then you can drop them to sail out can use it in combat a little bit too so if you don't want to anchor turn then you can raise your sails a little bit make a sharp turn to get back to the other ship but 
it's definitely good to use your sales to your advantage to make sharp returns when situations arise. I'd imagine particularly as a galleon, if you're fighting a sloop, I know one time we, we were on a galleon and we had a sloop just circling us and there was nothing we could do. We were just stuck there. Um, fortunately, we managed to sink it in the end, but in those situations where galleons lack the maneuverability as much, sort of those sharper turns can be useful to keep cannons on on sloops. Yeah, definitely. I think it's just really helpful to you all the way, and I think you should really learn how to control your sails to your advantage if you're going to be playing this game, because your sails can do a lot of different things. You can coast into islands, like we said. You can turn sharp. You can change to the wind and go faster. So basically, your sails have a lot to do with a lot of things in this game. So definitely learn to control your sails as best as possible. But one thing you told me earlier, which I, I was talking about something completely different, it's to do with the snakes. Right. Do, do you want to go over this, uh, the whole snake thing? Yeah, definitely. So you didn't actually know that yet that you could catch snakes. I did not. I had no idea about this. <laughs> it doesn't come up until you get higher with the Merchant Alliance because you get snake cages when you get higher with the Merchant Alliance. So if you're on a voyage that has snake cages, basically you go up to your merchant and get your snake cages like you usually would with your other cages. But once you have that snake cage, what you can do is not have any intention of cashing the snake in and turning it in for gold. You can actually catch a snake and use it as defense. So basically that's kind of a latest sailing tactic you can use. And basically what you can do is take the snake that's in the cage, stick it by your ship's ladders, and then it kind of prevents people from boarding your ship. Because essentially what would happen is they go climb up your ladder and then the snake's going to bite them as they climb up. So then they're going to be already hurt, they're going to be already poisoned, and it'll be really easy pickings for you to kill them. So it does kind of prevent boarding that way. It is kind of a nuisance a little bit though for the people actually on the ship because the snake can spit pretty far. So if you're putting it by one of the ladders, then can also backfire and spit you a little bit, so you have to just be wary of that and play some music when you're going by that area. Yeah, but sort of, it, it's really useful, particularly on a sloop, where if you're on your own or you don't have one other person, and you're a bit more vulnerable to boarding. If you're on a galley and you have so many people, you're going to be better at defending yourself. But on a sloop, if somebody comes on your ship, then it's a smaller area to fight in. If they're already at a sort of disadvantage because they're hurt, and they had the poison effect where they can't really see, then that that's really going to help you. And you can have it like on your crow's nest, so when they go up there, they get poisoned as well. And you can use it to defend uh, defend your, your treasure as well. I mean, as you said, it, it could be a bit of a nuisance uh, playing having to play music all the time. But just generally as a bit of a defense, it, it can really benefit you. Right, yeah. I mean, that's why I wouldn't really use it too much if you're just on a normal voyage. I'd use it more in like wartime events, you know, where somebody's attacking you and they're trying to board you. Okay, well, let me go grab the snake from the bottom of the ship and let me bring it to the top of the ship and put it by the ladders. That's the situation I would use it more, you know, because it's going to be kind of annoying and more of a nuisance to you if you're just on a regular voyage and the snake's by your ladder. But if you're actually in a battle, that's when it can come in handy. Yeah, if you sort of kept them out the way for most of the time and then brought them out for... If you're in a fight, then that that could just be sort of a really useful extra bit of defense. Exactly. Which one last tactic we didn't really talk about too much yet, or actually we didn't mention it all yet, is using explosive barrels. Do you want to tell people how this can be used to your advantage when sailing? Explosive barrels, uh, they they can be fun. 
what what you can do is if you if you're being chased you can drop them off the back of your ship if the enemy ship swims into uh sails into it then that'll set it off as well or you can manually shoot it you sort of snipe it yourself in those situations but explosive barrels can be really useful so they can be used off offensively defensively on skeleton forts in pve situations they, they can be useful things but obviously if you keep them in the lower decks of your your ship they can backfire in the sense that if somebody shoots the lower deck of your ship that can set off all of your explosive barrels which then gives you lots of holes so you want to keep them in your crow's nest generally that's the safest place to keep them to stop them from getting shot and from causing you any holes yeah agreed i mean there's definitely a lot of different tactics you can use with explosive barrels the boarding and going under ship tactics that's more of like offensive tactics which kind of relates more to pvp which we'll get into more in a deeper basis on a future episode but in relation to this episode a little more is kind of the defensive tactics you talk about where you can drop the ship drop the barrel below your ship and just kind of leave it in your wake so if you're sailing and somebody's chasing you, just drop it behind you and they'll hopefully sail into it. So you just want to plan it so they're close enough where they're actually going to hit that barrel. Or like you said, you can try and shoot the barrel as they go by it. So that's kind of the more tactics that has to do with sailing, I guess, because you can sail in a way that will make it advantageous for that barrel. So you can turn, you know, sharp left and then put the barrel out sharp left because, the, you know, the ship's going to follow you and they're going to go right into the barrel that way. So. That's kind of some tactics you can use with the barrels in relation to sailing. But yeah, barrels they can be they can be fun to use. You can have fun with them. Oh, definitely. <laughs> like the amount of times that I've been killed by my friends or killed my friends just by joking around with barrels, it it's it's great fun. And obviously, they can also be really useful. Yeah, definitely. But I think that's pretty much all the tactics that I had in mind. Did you have any other tactics in mind with sailing? Off the top of my head, um, that I can think of. Sort of a lot, sort of making sure that I'm maneuverable is sort of that's always a key thing, especially if I'm in a sloop. That's always something you want to stay on top of, and I, I think that's sort of pretty much everything discussed. I agree, and that's pretty much all we have for today's topic. But I definitely want to thank you again for coming on the podcast, Monty. You know, this is going to be your third podcast now, so I really appreciate you coming on, and you're becoming kind of a regular now, so it's definitely appreciated. Well, thanks for having me. And if people want to find you or get in touch with you, how can they do so? Well, they can, if people ever want to play, they can hit me up on Xbox with Debt Epic Duck. No capitals, spaces between each word. That's Debt, D-E-H, and then Epic Duck. So that's how they can find me on Xbox. From there, they can message me if, if people want to contact me any other way. Definitely. And for me, you can either contact me on Twitter, at Derek Blaze. Or you can contact me via email, d.blaze89 at gmail.com. Those are the two ways you can contact me. And to catch the podcast, you can either look on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes, or you can look on Stitcher, Google Play, basically any app we're going to be on there. So just search us on there, leave us some feedback, just subscribe to us, just give any kind of feedback and let us know how we're doing but that's pretty much it for this episode so thank you again Monty, and we really appreciate you coming on thank you very much and thank you to you the listener for listening so 
Thank you very much, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening.